ComC is your home for buying, selling, and flipping all the hottest trading cards. Their consignment marketplace is home to over 27 million cards across all sports, genres, and eras. With a ComC account, you can purchase cards from different sellers over time and ship them home together later, or immediately reprice them for sale on the ComC marketplace. To stay updated with ComC, please follow them on social media at Check Out My Cards, one word, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To learn about offers, promotions, and more at ComC, please visit blog.comc.com. You're listening to the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute, a podcast where we discuss both the hobby and business sides of collecting. I'm your host, Mike Summer, and I want to help you buy, sell, and trade your way into a collection you'll love. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute. I love getting the opportunity to sit down with other podcasters and YouTubers to be interviewed by them to see what's on their mind. People that have listened to the show or have read the blog and are interested in learning more about what my thoughts are on a particular topic. And that is what today's episode is going to be. I am going to play the interview that I had with Tony Vela from WrestlingTradingCards.com. He was he was nice enough to invite me on to his show a few weeks ago, and we sat down and we recorded his YouTube show for WrestlingTradingCards.com. And I thought it was a great conversation, and so I wanted to use that as our main feature feature topic today, is just to kind of share that, give some exposure to that conversation, give all of you who may not know about Tony and his show a chance to hear his show and hear him and his interview style and, and what it's all about, and maybe you'll want to go check out that show as well and subscribe to that one too. And so I want to talk about wrestling today, and so that's what we're going to do. First, I'm going to tell you about Underdog Collectibles, the online shop run by Collectors for Collectors that's breaking almost seven days a week now across Facebook, YouTube, and Loop. You can check them out at udogcollect.com to see what they're going to be breaking this week, and you can also visit them at their brick-and-mortar store in Knoxville, Tennessee to see the full selection of wax, single supplies, everything else that you might want to get. They're also an approved group submitter to SGC, and so you can learn about more about their SGC submission program by visiting them at udogcollect.com as well when you do check them out make sure you tell them that wax pack hero sent you what's up wrestling car collectors welcome to yet another edition of wtc tv today i i'm kind of like really honored to have this man on today if you saw that because uh i see him throughout the community um i follow his blog um uh, somewhat there's some topics i don't really follow i'm not a sports guy like that but um you know mr mike summer how are you today sir I am doing great. I appreciate the invite. It's always good to come and and hang out and chat a little bit, and uh, especially about wrestling. Yeah, I, uh, I I I see some of your interactions going on on social media, where you're you know kind of uh, you know commenting here and there about uh, various topics of, of sports like that. And every once in a while, you kind of you dabble in there with some wrestling stuff like that. It doesn't seem to be too much your forte, though. Wrestling, though, is it? I mean, you have a you are a player collector. Right, right. Yeah, it is not my primary focus. Um, I, I I would say baseball is probably my my primary focus, um, especially vintage baseball. Um, but I do dabble in some of the other other sports as well. I've got some basketball, I've got some NASCAR, and I definitely have have some wrestling um, 
that I've been able to start to acquire and, and build out over the last few years too. And so it's one of those things that, you know, we've talked about before on the world's Clyde podcast where I grew up watching WWF, you know, and, and Hulkamania and Macho Man and Andre the Giant and all those guys in the 80s. And then throughout college during the um, the late 90s, you know, I was watching The Rock and Stone Cold and, and all of those guys, DX and the Monday Night Wars. <laughs> and so wrestling was a big part of my kind of late high school and college experience as well. And so I've been going back and, and starting to focus in on some of those guys from the eras that I was really passionate about wrestling. And so, yeah, so it's, I, I'm not as into the the modern and the, the current product that's out right now, but I've definitely been starting to build in and, and relive some of those glory days of the 80s and 90s. Uh, well, go take this. Let's wind it all the way back then. Uh, according to your bio, which, you know, I, I, I do a little bit of homework on some people. So, I, uh, you started collecting at a very young age, like most card collectors, like I think most boys, uh, of 70s and 80s, uh, probably collected cards at some point in time. And you started pretty young too, around nine ish, if I, if I read correctly. Yeah, I started around around nine years old. Um, my my grandma is actually the one who I will credit with with me starting to collect cards. She was a huge Cubs fan, and right when I was starting to get into little league, I started talking with her about playing baseball, and she turned me on to the Cubs. And later that summer, I was at a department store with my mom, and sitting on the checkout counter was some cello packs of Topps baseball cards, and on the top top of one of those packs, right on top of the box. There was a Cubs player, Thad Bosley, and I said, Mom, I've, I've heard people talking about baseball cards. Can I get one of these packs? And so she went ahead and, and bought me that pack. That was my first pack. And so, yeah, I was nine <laughs> in 1986, and that was uh, when I got started collecting cards. And so baseball that first summer, football later that year. Um, but that's what got me hooked back in 1986. When did you first get your first wrestling card? It was probably sometime in the late, late nineties. Um, I don't remember ever seeing wrestling like in the grocery stores or gas stations or any of that, even though there was tops, you know, those, those late nineties um, or yeah, late, late eighties tops packs. I never, never saw those, but I know that I had a couple of those in um in some of the the collections that I would bought or trading with other kids in the neighborhood. And I don't even know where they got them because they're from the same town, but maybe they went to one of the bigger cities or had relatives in one of the, the bigger cities here in Illinois that had some of those. Um, but I, I don't remember what the first wrestling card was, but I know it was sometime there in the late eighties. Yeah. That's uh, usually a lot of people that uh, they produce so much of 85 tops and 87 tops, especially 87 tops. It seems yep. like, yeah. Uh, and that's kind of the time frame that I got into it. Cause I was actually at that time, I wasn't in grade school. I was actually working at a liquor store <laughs> Okay. and, um, I've, I've told this story before, but, uh, quickly on that one as a working liquor store was also a deli and we had like a little convenience area. You could buy your candy bars, things like that. And the manager of the store was very much into sports cards and wanted to try some other stuff. And we got an advertisement for, uh, uh GPK. Okay. So on the sales sheet, on this advertisement sheet was GPK on one side and you flipped it over and it was a WWE sales sheet on the other side. And so he's like, hey, let's get some wrestling. And so they still had plenty. This was 86, I believe. So 85 tops already come out. 87 hadn't. 
And so we ordered them, got a box of 85 tops and uh, to go with some GPK series ones. And I'm like wrestling cards. I grew up a wrestling fan with my grandparents going to watch, you know, on the giant wrestle with, you know, and watch Freddie Blassie and, and all these other guys, you know. And uh, so I was hooked ever since then for myself. But yeah, 80s was a great time for, uh, for wrestling cards. And then we kind of went through like a whole dry period. <laughs> I'm pretty sure one of the the first packs I ever got was, you know, at, at one of the card shops I got, you know, I, I helped support your bottom line and got some of those 1991 WCW cards. <laughs> and so I'm pretty sure that a few years later, those were some of the, the first packs that I ever got. Um, but even now, even those in our area weren't like wide as widely available as you would think based on how many of those that you can still see today. Um, but I, I, I'm pretty sure that was some of the first packs I ever got. <laughs> uh, I'm going to move on to your blogs. I, okay. uh, I'm a fan of your blogs. I usually will read some of the ones uh, on there that are more of a, a general um, uh, comments about just the hobby in, in general, not specifically sure. about like either a baseball checklist or things of that nature. So um, I mean, you primarily stick to the traditional, uh, sports cards and you do dabble a little bit in the wrestling world. Um, you know, do you, do you ever poke around anything else outside of sports, like non-sport cards? Yeah, I do. Um, Star Wars is probably that, that main focus in the non-sports arena. Um, just recently, actually, as of a couple of weeks ago, I just finished off the full run of the vintage Star Wars sets. So from the series one blue set in 1977, all the way through um, all of those first five series of, of Star Wars, the three series of Empire Strikes Back and the two series of Return of the Jedi. I just finished that full run of, of Star Wars cards. And so I do dabble in in some of those non-sports, mainly Star Wars. Uh, I've got a little bit of Garbage Pail Kids, but not a ton. Um, but yeah, it's, it's mainly sports and then uh, a little bit of that non-sports stuff. In, in your experience, what do you find to be some of the biggest differences between people who collect sports cards and then wrestling and non-sport type cards? I think some of the, the biggest differences that I've seen so far as I've started to dabble is that it seems a little bit like with wrestling and some of the non-sports, it's, it's been more about relationship and community. Um, I think that used to be there with sports, but it seems like it's kind of moved past that. And there's a lot more, you know, competition about who's the biggest, who's the best, who's the the greatest, you know, a lot more. Um, I, I kind of feel like the the political nature or maybe the talk radio vibe has moved its way into um, some of that sports card community. And that quite hasn't got there yet when it comes to, wrestling and non-sports maybe a little bit on the wrestling side with this with this prism release yeah that is seems to have brought out some of that type of thing but the non-sports side for sure i i feel that way um in in the chicagoland area something that i just got turned on to in the last couple of years or the last few months actually is a big non-sports show and i went up there for the first time in April, I think was the the last one. They do a spring and a fall show. And one I had a chance to talk and interview the the kind of one of the two kind of facilitators of that event. And one of the things I asked him was, Hey, I'm dabbling in non-sports. I'm not an expert by any means. 
am I going to feel welcome if I come up to this show? Like, are these dealers or other people there going to be like, you don't know what you're talking about. Get out of here and not give me the time of day. If I've got these questions about stuff that I'm interested in or trying to find. And he's like, oh no, we're a pretty welcoming group. And when I went up and, and visited and had a chance to talk with some of those guys um, and, and, and ladies who are, who are dealers there, it was true. You know, I had questions and they were willing to, to answer them. You know, they were willing to give me the background of, of how long they'd been in the business, how long they had been um, dealing in non-sports cards and how they built up their knowledge and had recommended some websites and publications and things that I could read to help build my education and background. Uh, and it was a super welcoming environment. So I, I think that's one of those things that I've, I've found as a, as a pretty big difference, you know, between those two things, um, you know, but I think there's a lot of similarities too. you know, you have player collectors, you have certain uh, and team collectors, and then you've got people who collect a certain series or a certain character um, on the non-sport side. So there's a lot of similarities between those two things. But um, right now I would say, that non-sports world seemed like a much more positive and welcoming environment than we we experience sometimes on the sports side. And we got wrestling, which is kind of walking that fine line between those yeah. two worlds now. And yep. I used to always equate wrestling, uh, even the early days before WTC was ComCollect, I would uh, had always just kind of equated wrestling as a non-sport. It was strictly mm -hmm. in the non-sport world. Um, but I think nowadays it's kind of that it walks that just like wrestling in general and in real life, it just walks that, that gray area, you know, it's not black or white. Yeah. I think you can argue both sides of that. Right. I mean, there's the athleticism that it takes to be a professional wrestler, you know, is, is you can't question that. Right. But then the nature of wrestling being a scripted entertainment type production, right. It fits more on that character narrative of a, of a non-sports um, side of things. And, and, but I think people kind of go back and forth and it really does walk that line. I used to make these comments back in the day on, uh, on, on message boards. So for all you kids that long, there was to be uh, no discord. There was message boards. Um, uh, I used to make, you know, yeah, well, it's a definitely a non-sport because you'd never see Mark McGuire walk up to the plate and cut a promo before he goes, takes it at bat, you know, kind of thing. Sure. You know, that's how I used to equate it going. It's strictly entertains non-sport. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I, that's kind of what I loved about it too. It, it always opened the door for like debate of like, is it sport? Is it non-sport? It's like, you know, I don't care. I just have fun with it anyways. It's fun. Although I do think it might, that maybe baseball MLB should take that into consideration <laughs> because they might be able to make some of these MLB games a little bit more exciting if they were cutting promos before the game. Would that be great? Or like so at least have some of the guys mic'd up, you know, so yep. you can, act, but then you kind of open the door for like, okay, I got to hit that. That uh, that uh, button right there, Amanda, because <laughs> uh, some of these guys will probably get a little hardcore. But um, uh, going back to your blogs like that, and some of the things I went and looked at when I was reading some of your blogs, one of those that caught my eye was your article about Josh Luber. Yeah. And with the backyard breaks like that. I mean, uh, and you played nice in, in your write-ups like that. Uh, while you were still showing some displeasure of that that union of the two, like that, can you can you tell people a little bit about that? Yeah, so you know, I, when when Fanatics and Josh Luber kind of came in and scooped up all of the trading card licenses for the big three sports for baseball, basketball, and football, well, they did a lot of 
of conversation. And Josh had a, a manifesto, a white paper that he put out talking about kind of his vision for where the sports card world was going to head. And he talked about making data-driven decisions, collector-focused decisions, things that would kind of ease the friction between collectors and the, the card companies, how to, to kind of fill those collector needs, but all, but not like water down products and still have value there for, for collectors. And he talked about this kind of grand plan and how integrity was going to be a part of that. <laughs> and, and, and transparency was going to be a big part of what they wanted to do. And, and to be honest, I was, I was pretty excited about that idea and that concept. Um, then it does then, a complete 180. <laughs> that is kind of the impetus of the article that I wrote. You know, I, I kind of titled it, is this really where we're headed? Because, you know, a few months later, several months later, um, he went and partnered with um, a, a an online breaker that had recently been kind of called out or shown to do some things that were, were a little bit questionable, you know, um, they hit a big card in a giveaway break and then they decided, Oh, well, we can't give this card away. This is, a, is worth too much money. You know, well, we got to do something different with it. And, um, and the antics and the, the, the hijinks that they do is entertaining to some, but is kind of in complete opposite of, of a, of a way that, that Josh had said they want, um, their business partners to be. They wanted professional companies. They wanted people who are, you know, going to be able to build credibility and um, kind of be upstanding. And and I was like, where is that? What happened? I feel and like it, he, he reached out to try to get some street cred. Yeah. It's what it seems like, right? It's like, well, okay, I said this, but this seems to be popular with a certain segment. And there's no questioning that that outfit um, is a popular breaking company. Um, but is it popular for the right reasons is the, the, where I would go with that type of thing. Right. And so I was just kind of very frustrated with, you said all of these things was sounded great when it comes into practice, you kind of did a 180, like you said. And so that led to some frustration is, is those two things don't seem to align. And so, yeah, I had a little bit of frustration with, with Josh and fanatics based on that partnership with, um, with that breaking company. Yeah, I because that was making the news for a while there. Well, first with the breaking company and what they did, like you said, what they did. And then uh, 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 seeing that he was kind of partnering with that, it was kind of like, wow, you know, with, with wrestling cards getting more of an eyeball, you know, more of a spotlight on it, more eyeballs on our product. And we're starting to get like, you know, Panini Prism, which is going to bring all I call the Prism Boys come in. Yeah. You know, guys like that will start breaking that stuff because there's some big dollar stuff there. Yeah. And it's like, that's actually, the kind of it's almost like is that the kind of people you want to hang out with son i don't think so <laughs> you know yeah it's one of those things that when it comes to the kind of the business side of things there's that that never-ending trade-off and this isn't unique to this period of time that we're in it's not unique to trading cards but there's that short-term money grab mindset right like oh this is popular right now this could lead to the most sales right now but is that what we really want to do to set up long-term sustained growth and build long-term credibility with our hobby? 
I, I think there's still a lot of, a lot of question for that. Right. And, right. um, you know, like you said, there's people that pump certain products and don't pump other products. There's, there's people that come and go and just chase that dollar, but those aren't the things that you need to do. They can make you a quick buck, but they don't build a long-term business and they don't build a long-term fan base and they don't build a long-term base of collectors who want to collect trading cards, whether that's sports, whether that's wrestling, whether that's non-sports. And I think there's there's still a lot of growing up that some of this new generation of collector has to do when it comes to thinking about that long-term sustainable vision for where this hobby could go. Yeah, I was going to lead into a different question. I was like, right, but I'm going to ask you now that you've talked about the growth and these new collectors coming in. Um, you seem to be really well-versed in the ins and outs of the hobby. I, um, I, I, like I said, I read some of your blogs. I see your posts like that. You seem to do, you cite a lot of references uh, when putting together your blogs. Uh, the information is on point uh, and very easy to read. So I, I come away learning something every time I read something of yours. Thank you. Um, uh, and so I highly rec recommend it to other collectors who are wanting to learn more about the, the mechanics of the hobbies like that to check out uh, Mike's uh, blogs like that. Um, with that being said, do you have any like pro tips for these new collectors who are coming into our into our hobby? Uh, whether it's just not even just wrestling period, but you know, obviously my our forte is wrestling cards, but just coming in, you know, where do they start? Does it take money to make the money? You know, explain the hustle to people. Yeah, I think some of the tips are, you know, are pretty universal and some might be specific to the, the niche that you want to find yourself focusing in on. Um, but the biggest thing that I would say is start with being a sponge and being willing to learn, right? There's so much to learn. Um, collecting, whether you're brand new to the hobby or whether you're somebody who's returning, who collected as a kid and is now coming back and getting it, back it, into Might as well be brown, brand new. I mean, the yeah. market has changed so there's, much. There's so much that has changed. Be a sponge and be willing to ask questions, learn, plug in, find blogs to read, find websites to read, find podcasts to listen to and, and YouTube shows to listen to, because there's so much information out there that you can take and learn from that will help you avoid making you know mistakes along the way. And so the first thing I would say is, is dig in, be willing to learn and, and start to do some of that learning before you start to sink a bunch of money into buying a bunch of cards. Um, because, you know, there's there's a lot of people who will try to tell you and sell you on a lot of different things that may or may not be something that makes you happy or the way that you want to approach um, collecting and approach the hobby. And so that would be one of the, the foundational things that I think th that you want to do. And then the second thing is, as you start to narrow that focus that, you know, whether it's a particular sport, a particular player, a particular genre of, of collectibles or, or trading cards, start to then think about how much money do I want to to put into that? How much money do I want to sink into that? And do I have the the spare funds to just come from my paycheck or whatever to, to do that? Or do I want to try to buy and sell a little bit to raise some, some profits to be able to cover the cost of some of those cards I want to buy? And there's there's no right or wrong answer to that either. You know, some people just budget for their hobby. And then other people like myself, like Zan, we like to to buy and sell, flip a little bit to cover the to raise some funds to cover the cost of the things that we want to add to our to our own collections. And that's what works well for me. And I enjoy that process of buying and selling. And so 
think about that. So how do I want to then fund the hobby that I'm that I'm having? And there's a lot of different ways that that you can do that. Um, some people like to focus on high end cards. Some people like to focus on low end cards. I've had a ton of success buying and selling collections full of low end cards that I've been able to um, sell to other people who are set collectors or player collectors who enjoy those cards that range from a quarter to a few dollars a piece. And I'm willing to put in a little work to get those from, from my basement into their, their <laughs> collections. And, and that over the last several years is, has really been successful for me to help me have a self-sustaining hobby. I think you even wrote, you wrote an article about that too, uh, right? About coming in with a little bit of money, uh, buying out a collection for a relatively cheap, very similar to Zan's story. Yeah. Uh, and then buying out a collection and then just putting in the work of listing these things across different platforms and uh, just hustling and turning that stuff into, because people don't realize like, well, it's a, you know, it's a 5,000 count box uh, that, you know, I bought for 15, 20 bucks of a bunch of nobodies. It's like that. Yeah. What are you going to do? You're going to sell them for a quarter piece or something like that. Well, a quarter a piece times 5,000, it adds up. <laughs> and then yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, when I when I got back into the hobby in 2016, one of the first things that I realized is it was going to take a little bit of money if I was going to collect the way that I wanted to collect because you couldn't just go to Sam's Club anymore and buy a wax box for $15 <laughs> like you could back in the 90s when I was in my collecting prime originally. And that's what got me started doing some of the buying and selling. Um, you know, in 2016, I is when I kind of decided that I was going to dabble in that to help, help offset some of those costs. I bought my first collection for about a hundred bucks, had a few cards from my, from growing up that I didn't care about anymore that I thought I could start to sell. And then as over the last six years, I guess it's been now, I turned that couple hundred dollars worth of original cards to buy and sell um, into um, hundreds of thousands of cards of paid for inventory at this point. And so, you know, it's been one of those things that's kind of blown me away on, on how successful that's been for me, but I've been able to add a ton of cards to my collection and build this, this massive inventory um, really of like six figures worth of cards. Um, that's all been paid for with profits from buying and selling these low end cards over the last six years. And so there is a market for it, even though, when you see Instagram and Twitter, you see the the thousands of the, the cards worth thousands or the tens of thousands and those types of things getting all the headlines. Mm -hmm. There's still a, a lot that can be done with cards that are on the low end of things. I mean, I mean, come on. I mean, there's a lot of guys out there who collect things like Norman Smiley and, That's and, right. and Dexter Loomis. I mean, <laughs> they're not Alexa Bliss and Roman Reigns, but, yeah. you know, we enjoy that and there's a market for that. So uh, it just, it takes a little bit of hustle to turn the, those, those pennies into dollars and those dollars into, into, into hundreds of dollars. Yeah. And there's, there is a, like you said, there is a market for that. You know, sportlots.com is one of the websites I use to sell a lot of those low end base and inserts, but even, you know, throughout the weekend, I was filling orders of 2018, 2019, 2020, um, WWE wrestling card, you know, base and insert cards, you know, so there's still a there's still a huge market for that low end base and insert collector player collector set collector out there um, who are who are putting those things together and enjoy those cards even though they're not glitzy and glamorous and one of ones or one of tens or or whatever 
um, there's still people who are, are loving to put that stuff together. Uh, as a player collector for the first time in my life, I'm having so I'm probably having the most fun collecting than I've had in at least 15, 20 years. Uh, yep. So I'm having a lot of fun with that. Cause it, it, I'm narrow, you narrow your focus down. I don't have to be worried about all the other outside noise going on. I know what it is that I'm looking for and what I want. I've, 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 I've picked someone relatively, I would say on the lower tier. You sure. know? And uh, so it, it, you know, helps the wallet out a little bit, but I, uh, I'm, I'm enjoying it. Uh, the thrill of the chase is there and I don't have to worry about breaking the bank. Um, if my, my particular player doesn't, uh, pan out to be some, the next Hulk Hogan or something, I don't care because I had fun collecting it. And if he does, well, I got on the ground floor. So that's great. Um, it's, it's fun. Yeah. And, and my player or my wrestler is, is Norman Smiley, who definitely <laughs> is not going to be the next Hulk Hogan. <laughs> he's long since retired. Um, but I've been having a ton of fun reliving those days uh, when he was in the WCW coming out that, and they're, you know, talking about him being the master of submission moves and him doing the big wiggle and all of the things <laughs> that, that he would do in that era. Um, and it's been fun because he doesn't have a ton of cards either. There's a few years of tops releases there in 2016, 17, 18, where he was in several of the different products and a couple WCW releases earlier than that. And it's been fun to be able to start to track those down and, um, even, you know, continue to find new versions of those cards or, or new copies of those cards that weren't even on any of the checklists that I've been able to find. I think even on WTC, there what? might be one that I need to add on to, <laughs> onto the list that I don't remember seeing on there. Um, and so we'll have to connect on that and maybe we can get another one added onto the Norman Smiley. Uh, Let's checklist do it, man. There, I'm but... all about getting as much information on there as possible. That's become, that's become my biggest hobby. Uh, over the past year and a half, two years now is yes, I player collect and I have things that I like to collect now, whether it be the Kurt Angle stuff or the Dexter Luma stuff. And those are fun, but I can dabble where I need to. But the biggest joy that I've had since getting back into doing some of the stuff really is gathering the information of all cards, putting the checklist together, getting the images redone, put up there again, um, you know, reorganizing and finding all these things like, Hey, there's a missing Norman Smiley car we never knew about. We got to get it put on the website somehow. So I, I just, when I start having companies like PSA and Beckett and other grading companies emailing saying, Hey, we were looking for additional information. It's like that. Wow. You guys are really like using us as a place, a resource that you want and trust us to give the pride information. So I take a lot of great pride in that. And I, that's, that's been my biggest hobby uh, since getting back into collecting anything again. So yeah, that can be so much fun. You know, one of the the kind of focal focal articles or anchor articles or whatever you want to call it on the blog that I've that I've had at Wax Pack Hero is um, the the living set photo checklist. And so when Tops was doing that living set, I was adding those on there, putting the picture in the in the print runs and all of the stuff associated with that. Um, that's one of the sets that I built from from kind of day one throughout the entire run. And so. You know, I've got that full set, but it was fun to go out there every week, see who the, the living set people were going to be for that week, try to take a guess at what the print runs might be. <laughs> you know, um, there was some some folks that were, you know, very popular. And then there were some others where I think um, might have been the first ever card that that they had was, you know, on the on the living set. And that was that was a lot of fun to do. But yeah, you know, as you talked about being that that expert. <laughs> 
and some of the fun that comes with it. I think that's one of the other things that I love about content creation is sharing the knowledge that we're able to acquire with others so that they can benefit from it. And so, yeah, when you've got PSA and Beckett reaching out to you as they're trying to research and authenticate items that have been submitted for grading, that is just, it, it acts as like a reward for the hard work that you've put in. It does. Um, and the same thing, you know, I've, I've been, you know, contacted by some different online publications or websites or print publications, and they're doing an article about cards and sport cards in the collectibles industry. And they stumble across my blog and say, Hey, would you be willing to share some quotes about um, the industry and your experiences for um, this article that we're working on? It's like, Sure, I'd love to. You know, yeah. I'd love to do that. And it just is rewarding and adds some, you know, kind of validation for the hard work that goes into researching some of these these players, sets, wrestlers, you know, whatever it might be. It, it, that just adds so much more knowing that we're able to help contribute to somebody else's education and enjoyment of the hobby. Which has always been the main focus for WTC is from day one was really, and I've told the story many times like that uh, on other podcasts about just, you know, creating the website because it was based on my personal collection and was archiving what I was finding and then just kind of keeping notes and putting it on a live breathing on the internet uh, version of uh, people being able to kind of see what existed and then putting my notes there of what I learned. And it become like this, uh, this, this website of archiving information. And then, you know, who knew 20 years later, it's where it is now. And, uh, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's validation. It really is. When you have an email or a phone call like that from someone asking you for your opinion on something or asking an advice or you want to contribute something to this particular thing, um, it's, 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 it's a good feeling. I like that. <laughs> so yeah. all the hard work is it paid off like that. But uh, from the grading companies, let me go to leading question there. Grading or no grading for you? I have historically been skeptical of grading. Um, it's one of those things that was another article that I wrote in a, in a podcast episode that I did about, um, about grading. And it was less about grading itself and more about these last couple years during the height of this recent boom where there was a, a segment of, of the community and especially a lot of the new folks who had been almost conditioned to say, if a card's not graded, it's junk. If a card's not graded, it's not worth having. And in my, my frustration or the skepticism came from that whole idea of you have to get everything graded no matter what it is, base cards, whatever it is, just grade everything because <laughs> it's not worth having if it's not graded. Um, you know, there's enough, there's enough there where, you know, I think grading has a, a time and a place and a purpose that, that can be helpful. It can help. It's not an absolute, but it can help with authenticity or at least being more confident, confident that a, a vintage card is authentic. Um, you know, it can provide a second set of eyes on something that you think, but it's not the end all be all. Um, actually this last year was the first time that I've, I've gotten some cards graded. I think I'm up to 15 total cards, maybe <laughs> that I've ever had graded in my, in my whole life. Many of those are from my own collection. I had some pre-war cricket cards that I got graded. Um, a few cards that were like a, a Nolan Ryan rookie, a Wilt Chamber, not Wilt Chamberlain, uh, Dr. J rookie. Um, a few other kind of key vintage cards that are part of my own collection that I went ahead and got graded because 
I didn't want there to be a question of authenticity. If something were to happen to me and I got hit by a bus and my wife was going to have to <laughs> try to unload and sell these, I wanted there to be a little more of a, of a concrete base for her to be able to go off of for establishing value on some of these cards that are, are worth a little bit more than the quarter or dollar that some of my other, other cards are in my collection. No, and my so, husband, he just keeps a bunch of junk. He's got a bunch of quarter cards, man. That's right. <laughs> So there's a few things like that that I've started to to grade, but I think you know out of out of the thousands and thousands of cards that I have in my own personal collection, I think I I'm now up to um, about ten to fifteen cards that I've got graded, and and a handful of others that I've purchased already graded. So um, predominantly, I'm a raw guy, but I do see a value in in certain cards being graded. Um, so. Um, I'm warming up to the idea for, for some cards being graded. So then uh, the grading. So what are your thoughts on the marriage of one of the biggest card collectors out there, basically buying up the biggest card grading service out there, Nat Turner's like that. I mean, I, I, I go in both ways when it comes to the grading topic. Now I've submitted several things uh, and mostly just for the, uh, full and uh, purpose of flipping. That's the only sure. thing I could, if, if I'm getting it graded, I'm not married to it because I have an intention to sell it because my personal collection is not graded. I'm going to put it in some kind of a display that I want to enjoy yeah. my collection. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I, I've, I kind of walk that line. I, I have like, you know, the guys out there that are, you know, all about grading and they believe it wholeheartedly. I, I understand the viewpoint of people out there who are, well, there's no transparency. Uh, there's this, that, and the other. Uh, you know, it, it, I, I see both sides. Um, I just, when it comes to like a gentleman buying an entire company and you're one of the biggest car clerks out there, as my wife says, who knows nothing about any of this, like, uh, this stuff at all, goes, well, if I saw a submission that had that guy's name on it, do you think he's not going to get some sort of special treatment? <laughs> I mean, you would hate to have the owner of the company all of a sudden go, well, you ain't getting no tens from me, buddy. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure how, you know, how that goes. Um, I was not a big fan of the prior regime at PSA. I think there was um, even more um, questionable activities from a lot of the reports that I'd read up to that point. Um, I appreciated that Nat is a, is an actual collector and a true collector. Um, I think there's something to be said, you know, when he still talks about his collection, he will still show some of his favorite cards that are graded by other grading companies, you know? And so I think there's a little bit of genuineness to that where he wants to do some good things with PSA, but he recognizes that there's still value in some of his competitors that are out there. Um, you know, I, I think that's going to be one of those things that is going to be tough for any of us to know when it comes to like the, the idea that you just said of, you know, if something gets submitted, if he gets something that he wants to have graded, how does that flow through? You know, does it flow through with his name on it? Does it flow through um, where that isn't known by the the people doing the actual grading? I think that's that's a legitimate question that is going to be on people's minds. Um, and, and I don't know. I don't remember. I've not paid enough attention to know how they've handled that. Other than I know generally from the interviews that I've heard with him. Um, that I would hope he has good intentions based on the things that, that he has said um, in the past. Um, but yeah, I, 
Well, you know, at, least, it, at least he's not fraternizing with certain breakers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he is not. Uh, yeah, he's not. He's not jumped into into that arena yet, um, by any means. But but I think it's one of those questions that that we're going to have to continue to ask. You know, as as quote unquote influencers, you know, and and social media personalities become a bigger and bigger part of that. I think that same thing applies to to a lot of those types of situations and. If people have bad intentions and they're not on the up and up, you know, those those situations are ripe for abuse. Um, if people are going to operate with integrity, then it's it's not going to make a difference. Um, and, and we'll see, you know, how all of that that stuff plays out. Some of that. I, I don't know that we will know that for for months or years to come in, in some of those situations. And with the grading, you know, uh, people people typically get stuff graded in this market today. I think uh, mostly for flipping to try to get the most value. Out. I mean, that's a clear indication to me what people are doing. So, um, uh, do you think that with most people who want to collect, and is it possible? Well, it is possible because you're you're living proof it, Zan's living proof it. But how would you help? What is my question here? It's, People who both collect and still want to make money yep. in the hobby um, to hopefully offset, you know, stuff they want to personally collect. You know, I'm, I'm one of those guys, too. I, I would like to if I bought something or I bought a box, I cracked it open. I want to take my one or two cards out of it and hopefully sell the rest of it to offset my box price. And hopefully my item becomes, quote unquote, free for me, you know, right. but um, I, is there any like is there a secret to it? Is there, a, you know, it, it, people who say, you know, what am I doing wrong? Why can't I make enough money to, you know, pay for my cards and really keep what I want? I mean, is there a key thing that uh, collectors can figure out what they're doing wrong? Yeah. So um, I think there's a, a couple things that I would recommend to people who are, who are in that situation. And it, and it all comes down to um, buying right. You know, I, I think one of those keys, and and this is, I think from what I from the conversations that I've had with Zan, he's he and I are on the same page with this. A lot of the cards that we buy with the intention of selling are not sealed wax. So a lot of times we're buying collections or big lots of cards that have already been opened that are loose singles. And by doing that, we're able to get things at a lot cheaper price versus paying inflated prices for sealed wax and trying to uh, buy a box at market price and then open it and then try to recoup our cost. That is a very, very tough way to try to do um, a self-sustaining hobby, um, especially at the inflated prices that we're seeing today. Yeah. It was one thing three or four years ago when you were able to buy WWE products on clearance and you know, you're paying Thirty to forty dollars for a hobby box, and five to seven dollars for a blaster box. You might be able to do that rip and flip type type approach to things, but not at the market prices that we're we're seeing today. So, the first thing that I would say if you're trying to do that is, the majority of what you're trying to buy to resell needs to be from collections, singles, things on the on the secondary market. Um, that are are already open that are not sealed wax and so that that has a a big a big piece to to play in it um and and the other piece is just um not chasing what has already been been popular and so if you've seen a big run up if you're seeing prism already spiking and spiking on the secondary market not continuing to chase that 
high end um, price that you're seeing, knowing that it's probably gonna to come down a little bit in the coming months because historically, oh boy, <laughs> that's what cards do. And and like yeah, and and boy has it in that specific situation. So people chasing what's hot now. And thinking that it's just going to go up forever is one of those things that I think is people in trouble. And then people trying to rip and flip sealed wax instead of collections, lots, and singles. I think those are two things which get people in trouble if their intention is to have a self-sustaining hobby. I still will buy wax from time to time and rip it and flip it and um, buy wax and rip it just to open it and have some fun. But that is a small fraction of my overall hobby spend versus the majority of my hobby spend. Excellent points, actually. Yeah, I just um, I used to open so much product back in the day. I always say back yeah. in the day because my, my wife says stop using that term. Um, and I would always like and I bought I bought a case of, you know, yep. 20, uh, 2002 Royal Rumble. I bought a case of Ultimate Diva Collection. I bought a case of SmackDown, you know, stuff. Because again, the cases back then were running me, what, 465 bucks a, right. a case? Yep. <laughs> um, so, and it was just fun to crack open. I was, and I, I was a master collector, so I'm keeping almost all of it anyways. I knew what I was spending to keep for myself, but there's just no way I could survive. And I don't know how people can survive opening boxes today um and then trying to make some money back on it unless you you know you're lucky and you hit that one of one or you hit that gold or whatever the hell it is and um it's just tough to do so uh, yeah i i used to buy a lot of collections too you know when i had a, a booth at the old frankenstein collectible show in, in california sure. for, for many years ago um you know i would get submissions from people all the time like hey i had this whole entire box of stuff i and i would make a lot of money off that just buying you know, complete collections of things, stuff that's open, going through it and just sleeving it up and throwing it in my display case, you know, for a buck or two a piece and making good money off that. Um, I think that uh, that way of fulfilling your inventory of or your collection itself is still prevalent today. It should be. Yeah, you know, it's several years ago, I was doing the same thing, you know, in 2017 and 18, I was buying somewhere between 12 to 20 cases of sealed product every year, um, opening a good chunk of that, selling some of the boxes sealed. Um, but as prices just continued to escalate, that wasn't possible. It was one thing when you're buying it just above wholesale. And it's a whole nother thing when you're paying two to three times what the MSRP was going to be. Right. And so that was going to stop. And, and I pivoted into that that mentality of focusing on purchasing collections and lots and, and finding alternative ways to get some of those cards that I wanted to get. Um, but, you know, just one of the collections I bought for 50 bucks, you know, it happened to have this, nice. this card in it. Right. <laughs> and so not that it's a huge card, but I paid a penny basically for yeah. this card, you know, as part of that, that big lot. Um, some of the Cardinal cards were some of the other ones that I wanted to eventually get. Um, and instead of, of going out and buying a 98 rock and 98 stole stone cold um, single card of those Cardinal sets. I was able to get the, the full set of those um, for somewhere like $30 delivered for the whole set. And individually those cards sell for, you know, more than that, let alone having all of the rest of them. So for 30, 35 bucks delivered, I'm able to keep those two from my own collection, make up, my the rest of the cost by um, selling off the other ones that I that aren't as meaningful to me. Um, but instead of going what 
going down the path that many people would go down just to buy those two cards and, and pay the inflated price just for those two cards. I tracked down a, a complete set in a tin to somebody who had sold them on eBay and didn't necessarily make it clear that it included all of the, the cards, not just the, the tin or whatever. Um, and so by putting in a little work, asking some questions, you're able to do some things like that, which can make it much more affordable. You just have to think a little bit outside the box and get a little creative. And there's, there's, a, and there's, uh, let's, let's be clear too. There's hustle involved in this too. So it's not yep. like you're just kind of casually sending off a, an email or two here. It's like that. There is some, some work you put in there where you have to, there's a For lot sure. of back end stuff. There's, there's, you know, taking pictures and putting descriptions and uploading stuff and this, that, and the other, um, that all play in and, and time is money in that, in that sense. So when I'm selling, you know, quarter to a dollar type of items like that, I'm definitely going towards the, the quantity versus quality type of stuff here to make up my, my, my money. So yep. it, it, the flipping business can be either quick with that one of one, or it could be a long one where it could be even more profitable for you if you just put in the work, a little, a little work. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it definitely takes work. It's not, it's not easy. And I think that's one of those other things that, that if you really want to be serious about it, um, you've got to be willing to put in a little work because if it was easy, if it was just those, those quick flips, everybody would be doing it and, and there wouldn't be any money for it. So you have to be willing to put in a little, a little work, but if you are, there's a whole lot of opportunity that still exists. And a lot of rewards for you. Yeah. For you, especially when it comes to personal stuff and then also making some money. So with that being said, we're going to go ahead and, and, and kind of wrap it up with this last one here, which is with all this said, what are your thoughts on the, on the hobby, the market now versus where you think it might be in a year or two or when fanatics rules the world? <laughs> yeah, I think what we're, we're starting to see a little bit of a, um, of a correction of a normalization of a stabilization, whatever you want to say, you know, we had this, this, this run up that had kind of started to, to, to build in 2017, 18 and 19, and then just went straight up into the right through 2020 and the, the very beginning of 2021. And now we're starting to see some things stabilize. And, and I think we're starting to see people realize that some of those prices were, were not sustainable that were, that were, um, that we were seeing, you know, last year at this time. And I think we're also starting to see some of these people who have come back to the hobby or come into the hobby for the first time, start to get educated a little bit and start to focus in on what is important and meaningful to them, you know, and, and, and we're starting to see that, that maturation of the collector who's, who's come in recently. And as we do that, we're going to see people start to focus in on certain aspects that stand out to them and, and create meaningful cards to them. And that's going to lead some things to continue to climb and some, some things continue to, to pull back and, mm. and sounds, normalize a little sounds bit. Sounds like another market that I'm aware of that I keep quoting all the time. Sounds yes, like a stock yes, market. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And, and I think there's, there's just going to be more of that that happens over these next couple of years. Um, at the end of the day, you know, the collector and the, the customer is going to be able to dictate where things go. You know, if we stop overpaying, then the prices are going to come down. If we're not willing to, to pay crazy, you know, MSRP times three for wax products, 
we're going to see things come back down closer and closer well, to, to Panini MSRP. Panini Prism is, a, is an example of that because people are like, you know, how far do you think it's going to go? How far yeah. down is going to fall off, you know, fall? And I keep putting that post out there that no one else ever seems to keep saying, like, people forget that the weeks before it got released, yeah. the, the manufacturer suggested retail price from that from Panini was 150 bucks. Yes. Yeah. So yep. what, could, could it fall to 150? Yes, I think it could. <laughs> yeah. You know, that that's a great example of that, you know, upper deck with AEW, you know, people that has been a, a, a tremendously popular product, but, but people forget that that was also intended to be somewhere around a hundred, 110 bucks a box um, as an MSRP, not 175 to 200 um, that, that we've seen it at now, even, even from upper deck on the EPAC side of things. So um you know, as people start to speak with their wallets, we're going to see some of these markets correct. We're going to hopefully see some of these retailers um, not be rewarded for some of the shenanigans that we've seen some of the retailers play. And I think we're going to see more and more of that shake out over these coming years. My hope is that integrity comes through as one of those foundational <laughs> points that people cling to and and lead to who's left at the end of the day. Um, but what I'm excited about is that fact that people seem to be latching on to the niche that makes them happy. And it's what while I preach, I want to have a self-sustaining hobby. And, and part of the reason I, I buy and sell is so that I can make a profit to be able to cover the cost. It's so that I can cover the cost of the things that I want to keep for myself and that there's more and more people who are anchoring on to collecting versus solely being in the business of, of flipping at the highest possible profit, regardless of what that means for um, the way that they conduct themselves and, and do business. I mean, there's always going to be those people who want to uh, speak with their wallet, uh, or, uh, part of their personality is their wallet. <laughs> yep. Uh, and so they've got to have the biggest, baddest thing. And they're kind of willing to pay for that kind of stuff to kind of outdo the other big wallets. So, and I get that, but at the end of the day, it's all about having fun. It's yep. all about, you know, especially with wrestling cards, it's different than any other collectible with the exception, maybe some non-sports because, um, uh, you know, there's certain things, if you're a Buffy fan or if you're a Xena fan or outer limits fan, there are things that you can probably collect from that go, Oh man, I remember that episode. I love that yeah. TV show. So there's this, the nostalgia aspect of it, which will always kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, make you happy, you know, thing. And, uh, I don't think you get that as quite much in sports as you do, uh, in the non-sport or wrestling stuff. So that's always that thing. It's just to be able to go out and collect enjoy the nostalgia uh and um you know just have fun you know I, if you want to spend a little more just because i mean who am i to put a price tag on on mr mr summer uh you know happiness over here i, I can't put you know if he wants to spend a lot of money for a, a rock card or a norman smiley card for that matter that's that's on him man not me it makes him happy that's right so uh you know with that sir i i i pretty much asked all my questions that i want to ask you uh, I, I appreciate you coming on, talking a, a little bit of shop, a little bit of wrestling cards. Um, hopefully somebody will get some education on this. I think they should and will because there's a lot to digest here. Um, where can people find you uh, all over this big wide web? 
Yeah, so waxpackhero.com is kind of the main landing page. That's got the blog articles. That's got links to the podcast that comes out every week. Um, you can follow me online on, on, I guess I should say, on social media, on Twitter at the Mike Summer, and I'm Waxpack Hero on TikTok and Instagram as well. But yeah, you can follow along with with some of the the collection that I'm building, with some of the hints and tips and tricks of buying and selling cards on all of those those different places. But um, yeah, WaxpackHero.com is the main landing page, and I'm most active on Twitter at the Mike Summer. I'll have those in the show notes as well, so like for people to click on as well. And I gotta like. The mics are like not to be confused with the other mic. So that's right. That's right. None, none of those other mic summers that are from Germany. It's the mic summer. <laughs> yeah, the one from Illinois. Uh, so uh, yeah, that's that's it, man. I mean, unless you got anything else you want to share. No, I just want to say thanks for ha for having me on. It's it's always good to talk. I really appreciate the opportunity to to chat and deepen my understanding of, of wrestling. Like I said, I'm a peripheral wrestling collector. It's a, it's an expanding portion of my collection, but I'm by no means the expert that, that you and many of your other guests are, but I definitely um, am continuing to learn and, and love to have these conversations with you guys. Couldn't help but notice while I was uh, perusing through your websites like that for your resources, there's no link for wrestling stuff on there for And I really think you should have one for WTC up there for people. <laughs> I do. I do. You, you're right. I do need to add that resource. I've got some uh, other online sites and, and team addresses and that type of thing. I might have to, I might have to do a WTC link in that, in that dropdown. All right, man. Well, I appreciate it. Everybody, uh, you know, like the episode, you know, like, comment, uh, you know, interact. It's all we want. We want to educate people. We want some interaction. We want people to kind of, uh, you know, take something away from this and hopefully, uh, you know, better your collection, get a better understanding of what the market's like, what the hobby's like. Have some fun, guys. That's, that's pretty much what we really want to have is just have some fun and, you know, happy collecting, man. Thanks so much, Mike. I appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you. Like the athletes we admire, the sports card shop is changing the game. We're not launching threes, bombing drives, or hitting dingers, but we have built a unique gathering spot for all collectors to trade cards, talk sports, play games, and watch their favorite athletes on the big screens. Yes, we've partnered with Panini, Upper Deck, Leaf, Tops, Fanatics, Pokemon, and others to bring you all the latest in sealed wax and singles. But the sports card shop in New Buffalo, Michigan is much, much more. Our recent expansion brings collectible sneakers, Hot Wheels, and more sports and entertainment memorabilia into the mix. Our new Collector's Cave game room is the perfect place to throw a rip party, bring friends, rip packs, trade cards, play billiards, ping pong, shuffleboard, classic arcade, and Xbox games, all while watching your favorite sport on TV. Visit us at thesportscardshop.com. Follow us on social at underscore sports card shop or better yet, visit us in person to learn about special events, party packages, new products, and everything we're doing for you. The Sports Card Shop, connecting people, sports, and the hobby around the world. There you have it. Almost 50 minutes or 55 minutes worth of conversation with Tony. I really enjoyed having that, so I wanted to share it with everybody today. Let me know what you think about that conversation by reaching out via email at waxpackhero at gmail.com, on Twitter at TheMikeSummer, on Instagram and TikTok at waxpackhero. I'd love to know what you think about the show. I'd love any feedback on how I can make the show better and more enjoyable for you, more informational for you. Just let me know. I'd love to have the conversation. 
Well, that is all I have for you today. So I'll catch you next time.